Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest is my friend, Corey. How do we say your last name, Corey? It's Kuntz, K-O-O-N-T-Z. All right, Corey Kuntz. We didn't even talk about that before we went live, so I'm grateful to have you on the podcast. Corey is um, joining us via Zoom from his home in West Jordan. And I'll give you a little background on Corey and then what he's going to talk about. He is 60 years old, recently turned 60. He's married, has five kids. Um, he is bisexual. He will talk a little bit about that. Um, he kind of has a multifaceted career. We may not get into that, but it's we talked a little bit about before we went live. But the things Corey will talk about, I'm not sure this will be the right order, um, will be um, the fact that he's gone through a divorce, the fact that he has bipolar 2, and with that comes suicidal thoughts, um, the fact that he is bisexual, um, the fact that he has unique talents, and he'll also talk about his love of the temple and his faith and how that gives him a firm foundation. But our hope for our listeners and the prayer that we shared is that some of the things Corey shares will be helpful for you. Um, as you're walking unique roads, some of you that may feel suicidal or some of you that are just walking complex issues that Corey at age 60 has been on a lot of these roads for quite a while and can give you gospel principles and perspective that will help you. In advance, I'd like to thank Corey for being brave um, to talk about these things. This is vulnerable and takes courage, but this is the right platform for that as other guests have done the same thing. So with that, Corey, I'll kind of turn it over to you to start wherever you want to start. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Richard. What I'd like to do is just share a little bit about my my background. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, and my biggest fear growing up is that that I was going to be gay. I mean, I was teased as a child. I was called names. I was... I was abused and and rejected by my own father. He used to call me sissy and queer and and all these little things just when I was younger. And he used to beat the crap out of me. So I was was heavily abused by my father, by my stepfather. And um, I never had the love of a man in my life and sought it out desperately growing up, just thinking that, you know, any man that would come in my life, that there would be like a, a father figure. And so as one goes through puberty, or should I say, as I went through puberty, um, everything became sexualized. My stepfather had introduced me to pornography at, you know, age 11, 12. And, and so just at a very young age, I was very confused and, and very hurt and um, just always reaching out for the love and acceptance of a a male, a friendship, a companionship, a father figure, whatever. And so as I grew up, you know, there was that secret that, oh, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not. And at the same time, you know, I dated girls and I enjoyed going on dates and making out, you know, all the kind of thing that teenager, teenage boys do. But at the back of my mind, still having that that void of needing a, a man or a male friendship in my life. And whenever one would come along, I would latch onto it almost to the point where there was just too much. And the person that I was befriending or was befriending me just couldn't handle so much. And so it wouldn't, it wouldn't last because I was very, very needy. And um, so I went to, I went to college and um, same thing that uh, my whole feeling was I'd rather be dead than gay. 
and still dated and dated girls and and still but still had this need to want to be loved and accepted by a man and i had my patriarchal blessing when i was at college and and it said you know you one of your first um responsibilities in life will be a sort of a mission. And then it got to the point, it said, you will be a husband and a father. And I just broke down right there because that's all I ever really wanted was to know that I would someday be a husband and a father and have that opportunity. And it's like, okay, Corey, you're not gay. So you have a choice here. And as I, I went on my mission thinking, okay, well, this is, this is just the start of my life now. And I'm, I'm going to be fine. And I'm going to, you know, just be a, a regular guy now and everything. And, um, came back from my mission and still had these feelings, even talked to my, my mission president about it. And I remember he gave me a pamphlet. <laughs> and back in the eighties, they really didn't know how to deal with, with, you know, young men that had these issues, whether it was homosexuality or bisexuality or, or just questions. I mean, there were just no resources. And it was almost like a taboo subject that you just didn't talk about. And you can really see the progression of the church uh, over the last 40 years. And I'm so very grateful for it. And I think that one of the reasons why I accepted this, and I totally think that I accepted this, um, you want to call it trial, this lot in life, whatever. I think, and this is just, you know, the gospel according to Corey here, but it was that I was pulled aside before I came to earth and said, hey, we want to saddle you with this. What do you think? And I'm like, okay, if that'll be, help put me in a position to possibly help others, that would be wonderful. So sorry about the little noise here. There's a, a truck that's going by and I'm, I'm outside. So we're okay <laughs> with noise. Nice weather. Okay. So, uh, Richard, where was I? <laughs> well, you're doing a good job. First of all, just talking about um, being open with your mission president, trying to figure out your sexual orientation, realizing that yeah, I'm attracted to women, but I'm trying to figure out just where I am and having no resources back when you first started to talk about this and process it. Right. So the attraction to both men and women and feeling my attraction to men was an emotional one that it was like, I really need this a man in my life to validate me, so to speak. And of course, the way that the world is, everything becomes sexualized in order to be intimate with somebody. You've got to have sex with them. And I found that, you know, that's 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 a falsehood. Um, intimacy and sexuality are two separate things. And so when I got back to school, uh, you know, I, I, um, I started, you know, I'm just taking regular college classes and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? And the answer came, it was like, take an acting class. So I did. And that one acting class actually landed me a talent award scholarship at BYU, which is like, okay, well, this is the, the arena you're supposed to go into. So I became a theater major and I met somebody my senior year. And the really interesting thing about my senior year is um, there was a young lady that had just come out to school and she was told, you know, Heavenly Father kind of instructed her away. It's like, you need to be in a play. And at the same time, there was this, this young man that I was very attracted to and we were very, very close. And, and the, the funny thing is, is I was having feelings for both of them simultaneously. And it just, the whole thing is quite interesting how it kind of panned out. And uh, <laughs> it was 
it was like I had these mixed emotions. I really, you could say that I fell in love with two people at the same time. And one was a man and one was a woman. And this uh, man that I got to know, he had, I had told him about my struggles and my feelings and everything else. And he told me, he says, well, if you feel like you've got a choice, you know, this is not the road that you want to go down because I guess he'd been in a, a homosexual relationship and he just said, it's not something that you're going to want to, especially not here at BYU, you're not going to want to get into this. And in a very loving way, he dumped me, you know, I think it's kind of funny way to, to talk about it, but we, we weren't physical. I mean, our relationship would be like we would get together and you know, we would kind of hold each other once in a while. We'd you know, just like embracing, but there was no, there was no kissing, there was no sexuality, but it was this deep emotional bond that I was sharing with him. And for him to say, well, if you feel like you can make that choice, then he says, then do it, go for it. And so I came home. Um, you know, this was around Christmas time, and I proposed when she got back, and we got engaged. And the funny thing was, is he reacted very badly. <laughs> he was extremely angry with me for doing what he told me to do, so to speak. And he kind of treated me not so nicely and was quite mean to her, in fact. And I just thought, well, this is really strange because you're the one that that told me to do this. You know, you you encouraged me to make this choice. And so I did. And um the young lady that I married, you know, her name was Brenda, and I married her for the wrong reasons. I married her because I thought it would fix me. I thought, well, this is it. You know, I I still have these feelings, but I deeply love her and I could I it'll just it'll take away all these other feelings that I've got. And didn't realize that no, that's that's not how this works. You know, it's it's a matter of you still have these emotional needs that need to be met. And it was still the desire to have that physical love from a man that, that was there throughout our, our five-year marriage. And it ended, we had, we had two children and I'm thinking, well, we will stay together for the kids, but it was, it was a toxic relationship. It was a codependent relationship. And although we loved each other deeply, there was a, a horrible codependency where she married me to escape certain things of her past and, and, you know, and abuses that she had suffered and, and uh, a not great family relationship. And I married her because I thought, oh, this will make me a normal man and, you know, getting married in the temple and with the gospel and everything. And I thought, oh, well, great. This is, this is how this is supposed to work. And unfortunately, that's not how it works. So I was, because I hated myself back then, and I had no self-esteem. And this is just another thing that I detested myself my whole life. And it's still something that I, I struggle with, not thinking that I'm man enough or good enough or manly enough or, you know, whatever. And physically, I don't like the way that I look. I mean, just there are so many things that we we take of, of ourselves and we kind of, I internalize anyway. And I just, I just um, kind of put myself down for not being this perfect being that I want to be or feel I should be or having to care, compare myself with other men or whatever. And to make a long story short, I was verbally abusive to her, not knowing. So granted, I, I didn't know that this was the way that I was, but I would, I would say things to her to make me feel better about myself that were mean. And it would like, 
I, I don't know if that, that you've ever experienced this before, but if you've ever met anybody that doesn't feel good about themselves or a way that a lot of people that don't feel good about themselves, they work, is they will have to tear down others in order to make themselves feel better. And that was me. And granted, I didn't know that that was the type of person that I was. And so when that came to light, it's like, well, I'll fix this. I'll do whatever I need to do. And she, you know, she came to me five years in the marriage and she said, I just don't love you anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And I said, well, let me know what I, what I can do to fix this because I do love you. And with this, this relationship should be eternal. And she was just like, no, no, I'm done. And so when she left me, she left the church, she left the children. And I moved to Utah as a single dad. And so here I was, 29, I had two young children, and I moved up and I, I moved into my mother's basement, and there was an extra room for my kids, and she was off trying to find herself. And whatever that looked like, you know, that's what she was doing. And there was a period of time where she had very little contact with the children. Now, I'm not, you know, trying, I'm not, I'm not that's not a part of my story. That's, that's we've come full circle now, and, and she and I are actually quite close now that the, the kids are grown. But, you know, she's got her own story to tell. But during that time, I had my, my ups and my downs being a single dad. People at, at the church didn't know how to treat me. I was kind of like a pariah. I mean, single moms are one thing, but single dads, no, that's just unheard of. And so people, I was kind of ostracized trying to take my kids to church. I mean, it was just the weirdest thing. And so I remember having this, this epiphany. It was like, well, if a woman can't love me, that, you know, maybe a man can. And, and so I started thinking along these terms of, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to leave the church? Am I going to go find a, a relationship with another dude, whatever? And interestingly enough, the answer came in the form of another member of the church. And this was a, a closeted gay man who was actually my Sunday school president. And I remember that, um, he came over and he tried to seduce me. And I just thought, this isn't what I want. And so he's like, well, don't go repenting for me. Don't go, you know, basically don't go tell on me or whatever. And I just, I, I had this, this epiphany. It's like, Corey, you have a choice. Okay. You know that you loved being with a woman. Yes. You, you probably, you could enjoy being with a man. I, you know, I never went to that extreme, but because I knew physically and emotionally what I needed, I knew that that would be, you know, no big of a deal of an adjustment for me. And because, you know, the, over the years, the fantasies and whatever, but I had this, this epiphany that it's like, you really do have a choice and what is it going to be? So I really, that, that really caused me to ponder and pray and, just really kind of work out my emotions like that's not what I want it's it's not what I want and so I told Heavenly Father then this was back in 1992 I told Heavenly Father I said well I want somebody that's going to be a mom to my children that's going to be a uh, my best friend somebody that has her own testimony but I want somebody that that I can marry but I don't want to have to date to find her and, and that's what I kind of threw out there for. And so this is where it really gets interesting. But Colleen and I, uh, we have been married 28 years now, three kids, one grandson. And 
we were engaged before we ever dated. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's that that in itself is a really really cool story. Uh, I did an extension of this on uh, the it was called Voices of Hope, yeah. and if you look up voicesofhope.org and you type in my name Corey Koontz, you'll see our our video story. Colleen and I there. This is it's kind of like the story of I tell of of how I came to that that acknowledgement and how Heavenly Father blessed me with her, and it was just because I made that choice. Heavenly Father sent me Colleen, and we didn't date. And it was interesting that that the way that it worked out. Um, I, I I want you guys to I want you to go and look at my video. So it's voicesofhope.org, and then just type in my name Corey Coons, and you'll find it. And uh, so you'll find the whole story there. It was done about ten years ago, but it was an original video series that was meant to give men and women with SSA or, or bisexual tendencies or whatever, some hope. And uh, North Star International is a wonderful organization now that supports men and women that you know deal with this type of issue. And so look into that, please. If you want to you see my video story, you can see me and Colleen and pictures of my kids and everything. But I tell that whole story in great depth and detail there. But it is very... It's very spiritual because the choice that I made, it was a spiritual one. And it was based on what do I really, really want? Knowing that that life is so short in comparison to the eternities. Knowing that I did accept this trial, this burden, this cross to bear, whatever you want to call it. That I truly feel that I said yes. I will take this on because I do want to be in a position where I can help others navigate these waters. And throughout my life, you know, I, yeah, I've had my doubts. I've, I've had, I've had temptations where I could have strayed, could have gone off the deep end, and could have, you know, ruined everything. But looking back, it's always been my foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that has kept me from making choices that I know I'm going to regret. So um, let me just backtrack a little bit hear about uh, my depression. So because of the bipolar issue, being bipolar 2, what you can equate that to is extreme mood swings, where bipolar 1 disorder is like manic, depressive. And I mean, it's just you, you go from one extreme to another, where bipolar 2 is just like riding a roller coaster of emotions. And I could be up and then there comes the down, I could be up again, but it's not as extreme as somebody that's truly bipolar. And so that was one of the issues that I had in my, my marriage, too, was just these incredible mood swings. And, you know, Brenda didn't know how to deal with it. And granted, who should have to, especially when, when your partner, your person that's supposed to love you more than anybody else, you know, says things to you and puts you down and you don't know how they're going to react and how things are going to be. And it's just God bless her for staying with me for the five years. But because she left me, it allowed me to really take a look at my life and say, who are you? What are you doing? How can you fix this? You know, this is not the man you want to be. So become the man that you want to be. And even after, you know, after Colleen was sent to me and, and we were married and, and, and Brenda came to me, she says, well, maybe I should have tried again. I said, well, maybe, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there where we have our own lives now that, um, I don't have any regrets, and she doesn't either, and there's no shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, could things have been differently? Absolutely. Um, did Heavenly Father know that my life was going to end up this way? Absolutely. 
did I do I appreciate that it ended this way? Uh, yes and no. I mean, nobody wants to go through a divorce. Nobody wants to feel that that failure on them. Um, nobody wants to experience the lows that come with that and and the depression and because of that the suicide i had after we went through this i had my suicide actually planned out and my kids were where this was you know we were we were divorced and we were she had them for this it was like a a four-week period of time down in california and i was up here in utah and i was just turning 30 and i just felt like i had nothing I had nothing to live for. I didn't have a decent job. I had nothing. And so I had, I made a list of all the things that I needed to do. And my mother was a nurse. And so I had made this concoction of basically I had all these pills I had access to. And I was just going to check off my list and come home and take that bottle of pills. And that was going to be the end of it. And the last thing that I had to do was return a, a DVD. In this or, or video back then, they were videos, not DVDs. So this was uh, I had a, a video that I had to return to the store. So I go in to return this video, and there was this gal that knew me from we had, had you know, worked together for a very short period of time. So she knew me, and she just saw that something was wrong. And so I got there around closing time. I think it was about nine thirty at night or something, and the store closed at ten. This was during the, the summer, or so. And she's like, Court, can you give me a ride home? And literally, she looked around the corner. And I'm like, well, okay, sure, why not? So I get her to, you know, around the corner to, and she's like, um, can you can you come upstairs? Can you, uh, can you come up and talk to me and my roommate? I'm like, okay. You know, because it was just, it was all, when I go home, this is, this is going to be the end of it. And so... They got me to go upstairs and talk to me for a couple of hours, and they got me to kneel in prayer with them. And by that point, if you're if you're suicidal, you've given up on everything. And I was just like, no, but I did. I knelt in prayer with them, and and that prayer saved my life. And the next morning, I got a call that um, from somebody that gave me. Oh, it was like purpose. And so for the next couple of months, I was in a play and I had purpose and I had, you know, there's just the surrounded extended family around me that just helped build me up during that time. And it was a very, very difficult adjustment being a single dad, um, going through the depression, going through just everything that I went through, but then getting to this point where I realized that I was able to make a choice and tell Heavenly Father really what I truly wanted. And when that happened, my son was three and a half. My daughter was, um, she wasn't quite five. And I just remember it was such a wonderful experience how this all came to be. But I was directing a play. And Colleen was uh, somebody that I'd known from college. And again, if you want to just hear the whole story, please go to Voices Hope to see it. But it was just happen chance that over this two year period of time that we reconnected and we became friends. And so it was, it was just, it's just, it was just a really sweet experience, but needless to say that heavenly father dropped a load of bricks on me and, and uh, told me, he says, well, this is who you've been praying for. And she's right there. And, and so um, I called her over late one night and I said, I need to talk to you. And I said, um, 
here's what happened to me in the temple tonight. I think we're supposed to get married. She says, I've known for three weeks. <laughs> so we became engaged. And 10 weeks later, we are kneeling over an altar in the Salt Lake City Temple as friends because we knew it was the right thing to do. And um, I didn't want to have kids right away because what I'd been through, I didn't want to have any kids ever again, thinking I could never do this again. But uh, luckily, you've got nine months to use the idea of a pregnancy. And, and when uh, Alyssa came along, just Alyssa was our first, and then Caitlin was second, and Cody was our caboose. And my, these three now are 25, 23, and 21. And I've got a little grandson. That his name is Daniel, and he's nearly a year and a half. But I just can't believe how quickly the years have gone and how I've been blessed over this period of time. And so there's the background that now it takes us from where I was 30, 28 years ago. And now we flash forward to today where I am so happy. Uh, does that mean that the temptations aren't still there? No. Do I, can I look at, I can look at a good looking man and think, wow, I can look, look at a good woman, a good looking woman and think, wow. But see, that's the thing with, with, I guess you want to call it temptation. It's like, what are you doing with it? Sure. You can appreciate a good looking guy. You can appreciate a good looking girl, but what are you letting your thoughts do with that? You know, are you just letting them go say, okay, I acknowledge that. Great. Move on. Well, that's what I've learned is, is healthy. I acknowledge what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. I acknowledge it, and then I move on. So, uh, Richard, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to you. See if you have any questions. You want to pull some things out of me that kind of happened in the middle or going back to some of the things we talked about prior. Well, Corey, thanks. You're doing a good job talking about your story. Um, and from all of our listeners, thank you. Talk about, there's a few things that come to my mind. First of all, I love what you just said about thoughts and normalizing thoughts and not feeling shame around thoughts. And and where the agency, I really think, kicks in is just how you taught is what are you going to do with that? So I think that's a healthier approach than saying, I'll never think bad thoughts. <laughs> um, because I'm not sure, I can't get to the finish line on that. And it may not be possible for a lot of people in mortality be able to control their thoughts. But I think the way you said is, what are you going to do with it? Is where agency really kicks in. And so I thought that was really a healthy way to approach thoughts. Talk about bipolar two. If anybody's hearing about bipolar two for the first time, I think you talked a little bit about that. Just explain that. And, um, and a little bit of, you know, just the treatment for bipolar two. And do you still have it? Or is it something you just manage or can you solve? Oh, no, it's not solvable. It's something like, like, for example, clinical depression. You learn how to manage it. People that are bipolar, you learn how to manage it. If you have anxiety, you learn how to manage it. And I find that all of these mental health issues are interrelated. And looking back at my family history now, my dad must have been bipolar. I mean, completely bipolar. And it's something that is genetically inclined and is passed through the generations. And unfortunately, for my children, it's been passed down the lines. And I'm not talking about the bipolar, but I'm talking about the mental health issues. My wife, Colleen, has suffered from clinical depression her whole life. And so it's as she deals with it with medication. But um, unfortunately for our children, 
because of my bipolar two disorder and her, her uh, clinical depression, you take that and you combine the two and all three of the kids have had something, whether it be ADD or ADHD or the bipolar two or the depression or the anxiety. And it's just a combination of all these things that we've learned how to deal with it with the right medication. So for me, for example, I take a very mild dose of a, um, an antidepressant. So I have a mild dose of Prozac. I used to take a mild anti-anxiety pill, which I find I really don't need anymore. But I also, I started taking a mood stabilizer about a year ago or so. And I'm finding that that really, really helps me. So depending on whether this is depression or ADHD or bipolar two or, or just, um, anxiety. There are medications for everything out there that, you know, these chemical imbalances that we can actually have that are genetically, or we're disposed to genetically inclined to have. And so I, my wife told me for years, you're depressed, you're depressed. And it's like, I am not depressed. You know, I'm not a depressed person. I'm a happy person. What I didn't know is that I had the bipolar two issue. And it was finally after 10 years of marriage, maybe that she, I would get to the point where sometimes I would just blow like a volcano. And she's like, where is this coming from? And I said, well, it's not depression. <laughs> and so she's like, but you've got to get this diagnosed. So I went to the doctor and I would explain, well, this is what I go through. You know, this emotional. And, and he says, well, that's not, that's not true bipolar. He says, do you feel like, you're, are you awake for days or with you know, manic? Do you not, not need to get out of bed ever with the depression? I said, no, it's never like that. But I can go from one stream to another if I feel I've been wrong. With the flip of a switch, he goes, oh, that's bipolar too. And I said, explain it to me. So if I ever felt like I had been wrong, if somebody had crossed me and I felt like, you know, I was undeserving, I could blow and I would just go ballistic and I would just lose my emotions. It's like, that is so wrong. And I would just, you know, become this eruption. And that's where I, that's where I found that it came from. And the depression, when I get into the depression, it can go back to the, the suicidal thoughts, feelings. But that, again, that's learning how to control those thoughts. Uh, I've been through 12-step programs, and it's learning how to deal with things one day at a time. I mean, there are so many resources out there for people that have addictions. You know, another part of my personality, I have a very addictive personality because of the pornography I was introduced to as a, as a youth. That has been an issue my whole life. And having to, you know, when the thoughts come, it's like, it's like, what do I need to do to replace them, to control them, to, you know, when the triggers, when I, when I see somebody that triggers me, whether it be a, a good looking guy or, you know, some, somebody that has something that I want, you know, that jealousy, that, that I wish I were, I looked more like that. I wish I were more this. I wish I were more that. And, you know, and thinking badly of myself instead it's like, what can I do to elevate my thoughts? And this is all part of the tools that I've received over the years of, of you know, now 60 years of living experience. There are so many tools that are out there, whether it be a 12-step program, whether it be counseling, whether it be books, whether it be just having personal affirmations, whether it be um, having a hymn in your head that allows you to change your thoughts. And the neatest thing about going to church on Sundays and renewing our covenants is the part of taking the sacrament. And if you think about the sacrament prayer, that we might always remember him, that we might have a spirit to be with us. Well, think about this, you know, brothers and sisters that are out there listening. 
if you're thinking of the Savior, you're not thinking of anything that is going to be beneath you and him. And so that's, it's, it's kind of like Richard was saying, what do you do when those, those thoughts happen? You elevate them. You make a choice. And it's like, okay, I'm sitting here in my depressed state. What can I do? Number one, I don't hide it. I need to talk to somebody about it. I need to let somebody know how I'm feeling. And these, these, it's like, it doesn't go away. You know, Richard had asked, well, is it, is it over? Are you dealing with it? No, I still have these bouts of depression. In fact, it was, it was a week ago Monday where I was having a really, really bluesy day. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if I missed my meds for a day. I honestly, I don't know what happened, but I was thinking suicidal thoughts and I was thinking, well, what if I just, you know, on the way home, I, whatever. No, I mean, these types of thoughts can come and it doesn't mean that you're going to ever conquer them. It means what do you do with them in that moment when you are struggling like that? So I let my, my, uh, my boss here at Costco know, I said, I am really having a rough day. You know, I was on the verge of tears the whole day. And she's like, what can I do? And I said, I want to go home because I've got that family support there. And the thoughts, of course, were like, well, whether you know you're going to do something on the way home, I'm like, no, I can, I can make it home. I just need to talk to somebody. And so the fact that I was open with her about how I was feeling, and I even actually even posted it on Facebook. Um, my, I have a very dear niece that, again, family, it runs in the family. And she'd actually tried to uh, take her own life just a few weeks ago. And her husband had said, okay, you're either going to go to counseling, you're going to go to a hospital, you're going to go to a resort, whatever. And so she went to this retreat that saved her life. And she posted something about this retreat and how it had just changed her and the tools that she had. So I reposted what she said. And I said, this is my dear niece. And this is what she's gone through. And I said, for those of you that, that suffer from depression or these thoughts, I said, you are not alone. Okay. This is just what I went through. And I, and I said, this is the way that I felt, but you're not alone. And I called out to my family and I said, I'm speaking up now because it's when you don't speak up that you can get into trouble. That if you just don't say anything, you're going to spiral until until you get to that point where it's so dark and you're so you've lost so much hope. So I am speaking up now. I'm trying to be more open. I think one of the things that Heavenly Father wanted wants me to be is is more out there, more out of the closet, more open about my my sexuality, about my struggles with the with the depression, with how it's treated, with how I'm able to talk to people when I'm down. And it's it's really all about openness. You think about addictions. What do you want to do? You want to hide them. You want to, you want to make sure that no one sees them because it's so shameful, whether it be pornography or drugs or alcohol or whatever. People are always trying to numb the way that they feel with these addictions. But how do you overcome it? You have to open up about it. You know, the first step is admitting there's a problem so that you can reach out to people so you can have somebody to talk to so that you can just be honest and open when those moments of self-doubt, those self-loathing, that the downs are coming so that if you need me, somebody can be there to reach out and, and pull you up. And so the biggest key here is openness. And I think this is what Heavenly Father wants for me at this stage of my life. It's like, Corey, I want you to be open. I want you to be open about the struggles that you've gone through your whole life now, the 
the depression, the suicidal thoughts, the 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 bipolar, the the homo bisexuality, the the, the the abusive situation with you know your family background with you know your own abuse with your first wife just all of these different things put me in a position now where i really am able to help others and that was the whole point of of meeting with uh, richard today it's my um, my son-in-law matthew he had met richard at a in a classroom down at byu and he had talked about, it. I think he mentioned, you know, well, my, my uh, father-in-law has this, da, 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 da. And he says, oh, well, I would love to meet him. And, you know, I'd love to hear his story and stuff like that. So I reached out to Richard and this is, you know, this is how today came to be. But it's just, it really is, for, if, if you guys are struggling out there with anything, your first step is to be open about it and to reach out to somebody, whether it's, a friend, uh, a sibling, a spouse, your bishop, a trusted someone, a confidant, you've got to be able to put yourself out there and say, hey, I need help with this. I acknowledge that I'm struggling with this. And if you could do that, then you're going to be on the, the step to recovery, whatever that's going to look like. And however that's going to look like, that is the first step. And getting help is admitting that that you need it. And so these things that I've had with over my life, I find that, no, they're never going to go away. This is something that I will deal with the rest of my life. But it's how do I deal with when those triggers come? And I know what my triggers are. And when they come, it's like, how do I deal with it? How do I elevate my thoughts in that moment? How do I remember my Savior that I might always have his spirit to be with me? And it's these little things that really have put me on a solid path. And going back to my testimony has been always the foundation of, of helping me stay faithful, even when I didn't want to be, even when I thought, I'm just going to go and indulge in the way that the world says it's okay. And it's always been a knowledge of this life is so short, Corey. You know, what are you really living for? Are you living for the moment? Or are you living for the eternities? And there's really no sacrifice in turning away the natural man. You know, we were taught in the scriptures, the natural man is an enemy to God. And so learning how to overcome the natural man for me is a lifelong struggle. And it's still a struggle. You know, there are still triggers all around me. And I'll, I'll still see... Some, you know, the, the bisexual part of me, you'll see some good looking guy and think, aha, you know, I sure liked it, whatever, you know, <laughs> but then I'm thinking, look at what I've been blessed with. Look at your wife. My patriarchal blessing talks about all the responsibilities of my life. None is greater than that of love and faithfulness to my wife. And so I remember that when these thoughts and these triggers come, it's like none of your responsibilities is greater than the one you've made to Colleen. And 28 years, I find that I love her more than ever. And it's just been, she's been an incredible gift in my life. And now being able to have five children, my older two are not active in the church. And, you know, they've made their own choices. And, and again, different story. But um, my, most people will downsize when their kids grow up. 
Well, my kids got older and to the point where my son was a senior and my daughter was about to leave for a mission. And, and we upsized. We actually went from a house that was about 1,800 square feet to one that's about 4,700 square feet because I always wanted a house big enough for family. And so my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandson live in our downstairs basement apartment. And we've got two bedrooms upstairs for, for our other kids when you know they're both home from college and missions. And now while they're trying to figure out what to do, the whole family is there. And to me, it is just the most incredible blessing in the world that I can go down and see my grandson in the morning. And when he sees us, he just comes screaming for us. And having my daughter and my son-in-law and my my other children just with us, it's it's a wonderful blessing. And Heavenly Father truly, truly has given me so much because of the choice that I made all those years ago. And have there been times where I've, I've almost strayed from that choice? Yeah, of course. You know, I'm, I'm a human being and I'm a natural man. And I've had to learn over the years how to deal with these choices and the temptations that come along. But I got to tell you, all the things that we learn in the scriptures when we're listening to the words of our, our leaders in conference, I mean, we have all the tools, guys. We truly have everything that we need. We have if you want, you know, what is life about? Is it something, are you looking, are you living for today? Or are you living for eternity? And so we truly are blessed as members of the church to have a fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are so many good people out there, so many good Christians, Muslims, uh, and people of other religions, religious beliefs that, that maybe they don't even have a, a belief in, in Christ, but they have a God and they have a father in heaven. And we all have this commonality of being children of God, brothers and sisters and in an eternal family. And for me now, looking back on these years, boy, it's gone by so quickly. You blink and, and you're 60, you know, I think of, <laughs> I, it's funny because I don't look 60. I don't feel 60. I certainly don't act 60. And most of the time, you know, kids are like, are you ever going to grow up? And I'm like, nope, uh, I've got Peter Pan syndrome and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so find your bliss and go after it. Uh, mine is, mine is writing. And I've just, uh, I've just written a book. In fact, it's going to be published here this month. Uh, it's called Oracle Emergence. And look for it at Costco. That's the neat thing about working as Costco as a supervisor here at Murray. If you want to meet me, come on down. I'm in a red vest. You know, Corey, you can't miss me. I, I'm usually in a bow tie. And uh, come by and say, hey, I heard the podcast with you and Richard. And I, I would love to meet you. I'd love to talk to you. If you need any one-on-one, -on -one, you know, <laughs> I'm here. And I think that's what God wants from me now. He wants me to be out there, to be a, a beacon, to be a, a voice of hope, to be a, a light or just maybe a guide or, or whatever and say, hey, this is how I made it through my murky waters or this is how I got to the other side or here's some of the tools that I had when I was drowning or you know, here's a rope to hold on to. Whatever it is that you're looking for, I, I'm pretty sure now I can help you find it. Having been through so much with whatever it is, you know, whether it's depression or if you have SSA or bipolar or or anxiety or or maybe you you know you're thinking you're bisexual, you're questioning your sexuality, you're questioning your standing in the church with what you're feeling for maybe an individual of your own gender. 
whatever it is, those feelings are okay. You know, it's okay to accept yourself for who you are, for what hand you've been dealt, and to go from there. And God loves you no matter what, no matter what. And that's something that I still am trying to accept and discover that no matter what, my Heavenly Father loves me unconditionally. And if you have that support system in your life, even if it's just one person that can say, I love you no matter what. Well, hopefully you can look in the mirror and that could be you. But if it's not, then find somebody. If, if you need me to be that somebody, I can do that. We just need to, we just need to build a relationship. And one of my gifts is being able to love very quickly and very strongly and very fiercely. And when I give my heart to people, I give it wholly. No questions asked. And I think we all need somebody like that in our lives. And first and foremost, build that relationship with Heavenly Father and with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And know that, that the Holy Ghost can truly be there as a constant companion. One of the gifts that I was given most recently was to know that I was not alone. I felt almost like an imprint of a hand on my shoulder. And whenever I think about the Savior in these terms, I feel that hand there. Even now, it was like a second hand was was placed on my shoulder. And even now, as I talk, I feel that someone is here with me with hands on my shoulders that is with me to guide me, to inspire me, to help me, to lift me up, to help me in whatever ways it can be. And we are all entitled to that companionship, whether it be the Holy Ghost or one of our loved ones that's gone on before. So I just want to encourage you to find that, to rely on God, to not give up. If you're at the end of your rope, then reach out, reach out, please, to a friend, to a a loved one, to a, a clergyman, to a stranger here, you know, look me up on Facebook, look me up on the Voices of Hope, contact me. Seriously, God wants me to be there for people so that I can be an instrument in his hands. And I know that Richard and I talked about the temple and we've we've just got a few more minutes here. So I wanted to be able to share with you my experiences in the temple and how it has helped me to to continue on this path, knowing that I didn't have a choice, knowing that the temptations still come, that the triggers are still there, I find that the temple gives me strength. And the, starting my, my morning with prayer, with, with the scriptures, I can't tell you how many times I've been through the Book of Mormon and with Come Follow Me, how helpful it is. And just if you do something, if you like we've been counseled to, if you start a portion of your day giving it to God, everything is going to go right. And even if it doesn't, you've still built up that little bit of that bubble around you of protection. And so just a, a quick experience here. I'm now an ordinance worker in the Ochre Mountain Temple, and I was just set apart about six weeks ago. And I just went to do some initiatories a couple of months ago, and I just had this feeling. It's like, Corey, I want you here more often. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I want you here. I want you to come weekly. And I'm like, okay, well, I think I can commit to that. He says, no, I want you to commit to it. Go talk to your bishop. And so I did. And I said, Bishop, I think Heavenly Father wants me to work in the temple again. 
And, and so he says, we had this little interview and it's like, all right, I'll pass your name on the state president. And I didn't hear from the state president. And come Friday after I talked to the bishop, the temple calls me and they said, hey, you want to come in? And I hear that uh, you've been recommended to be a, an ordinance worker. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, I didn't hear from my state president. So I guess he, he, he said, OK. So I go in and I happen to have a talk. And I firmly believe that there are no coincidences in our life. People that come across, you know, there's no coincidence. They come into your life when they do at that time. But we had just had state conference and President Christensen, Sister Christensen, who are the second counselor and the um, assistant to the matron, were our speakers in, in state conference. And so this was just the Sunday prior. And so I go in and here's President Christians. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you just spoke at my state conference. And we just talked and we uh, we had a prayer. And he's just like, oh, he says, no doubt. I'm going to set you apart right now. And I'm like, OK. So we, I got set apart that very night and started the temple the following Thursday. And it's just it's it's incredible. It's like you guys need to pick me up, go to the temple. Uh, you you want you want to pick me up on a, a weekly basis? Work in the temple, and there are so many opportunities to serve and to give, and to just be your best self and put your best self out there. So, speaking about talents, just uh, quickly, I know that uh, I've been monopolizing all this, and I'm really sorry, Richard. But <laughs> one thing that we talked about prior was using your talent. First off, you've got to discover what they are. Remember I told you I was at BYU and I was like taking an acting class. I took an acting class. I landed a scholarship. God is going to, to whisper these things to you. Do this and find out if it's a talent for you. Well, I found out that writing was a talent for me. My whole life, I've had different careers. I've, I've been a teacher. I've been, a, you know, I'm a Medicare specialist. I'm still licensed with health and life insurance. I've been a financial coach. I've been a personal development coach. I, you know, I mean, all of these things that I've done throughout my life. But one of my biggest talents is always been teaching and writing. And I find that I really can influence people those in with those those uh, those means and so i had a dream about oh, i think it was about four years ago now and it was about it was this post-apocalyptic situation and in my dreams i'm always the main character so i can kind of write from that perspective so needless to say four years later i you know i took all these notes from these dreams and i outlined it Da, 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 da. And here it's taking me four years, but I've come up with Oracle Emergence. It's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi journey of this man who is 50. And what happens is I wrote this pre-COVID, you guys. This is quite funny. But I kill everybody off with a virus. So I kill off 99.99% of the population with a virus. And and so people, you, um, what happens is you, you go into this flu-like symptoms and you, you die in your sleep. Well, one out of 10,000 wakes up from this, this sleeping death and they're transformed. You have these X-Men abilities. So my uh, book, Oracle Emergence, is about this man who basically has the ability to have all of the humanity has to offer. So he becomes the Oracle and he becomes this force for good in this new society. And so what he does is he, he lifts others up and uh, he's able to, to heal with touch. To, but he learns about all these things that are going on in this society now with telekinesis and animal whispering. And of course, you've got, a, you've got a villain and he's got to dispatch the villain, but he does so at the end of the first book, which is a cliffhanger and it makes room for my trilogy. So uh, 
this is the first. But what I want to say here is, is I didn't know I had this talent until I actually sat down to to start writing. And it's like, I had somebody read it. And, you know, I have read books on how to write, right? So what you do is if you figure you've, you've got something that God, God has given you, what you don't want to do is hide it under a bushel. Even if it takes four years to develop it, get it out there finally. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Life is a journey. And you're going to find all along the way that God is going to introduce different things to you along the way. And you're going to be like, okay, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this particular challenge? What am I going to do with this particular talent? And all he's asking you to to do is to magnify it. So if you have a a situation where you've been through something like you were suicidal and you made it to the other side, what do you think God expects you to do with it now? He expects you to lift somebody else up. You've been through a situation where you've been through a divorce. What does he expect you to do with that? He expects you to help somebody that's going through those murky waters. If you've been through anything where you've been down and now you're above it, you are now in a position of authority. You're in a position where you can reach down and you can lift somebody else up. And so I think that now in retrospect in my life, what God is asking me to do, he's like, Corey, you are in a position of authority now with A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. I've given you all these talents. Yes, you passed through these trials. You haven't passed through with flying colors always, but you've made it to the other side. And that's what matters. You didn't give up. Now you get off your butt and you help other people that are stuck in that muck and you get them up and, and lift them up to now where they're going to be standing on higher ground. And I promise you, I promise you in the name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, that if you do this, if you will just reach up, if you're down there in the muck and you take the hand that somebody that's holding out for you, they can pull you out of it and get, and you're going to now be in that position where you clean yourself up. You're now in that position of authority where you can reach down and you can help somebody else up. So no matter what it is that your trial that you've been given in life, whether it's mentally related, whether it's physically related, whether it's you've been abused, you've been the abuser, you've been, you've had an addiction, you've, you know, you're dealing with your sexuality issues. You're feeling like you need to come to terms with where you sit and you're, and you are where you are with God. Find that, know that. He is there. He will never turn his back on you. Christ bled from every pore so that you can make it to the other side of that muck. And once you do, once you crawl out or you have somebody pull you out, now you are in the position where you can turn around and reach for that person that's, that's hurting, that's suffering, that's down there. And you can be that light, and that beacon in their life. And I promise you that that's what God put you on the earth for. He put you there. He put you here to be able to get through the other side of whatever it is that you're going through and reach down and help somebody else. Okay. Richard, do you have anything you want to wrap this up with? Um, I don't, Corey. In fact, my impression is to just let your last segment um, be the final segment. It's such a powerful segment. And anything I say would detract from that. So... I will give you a big thanks. You're the person that brings hope and vulnerability and principles of the doctrine of Christ. So your story, um, you are in a position to lift people and your listen and listeners, that's part of your journey too, is your ability to lift people the same way Corey is. So Corey, how do I say your last name? Kronz? 
Kuntz, 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 like the writer, Dinar Kuntz. So, so that, that should give me another foot in the door. It's like, oh, Kuntz, I wonder if that's Dean's nephew or something like that. So <laughs> look for that book, same writing. That's <laughs> but, great. Yeah. So this if is... anybody, if you do need a friend, please find me on Facebook, look me up. I'm on LinkedIn. Come to Costco here if you're local here in 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 in, in Utah. Just I'll be I'll be your friend. You need somebody, I'm I'm here for you. <laughs> so this is Corey and Richard signing off, and grateful for Corey and his courage to be on the podcast and follow his impressions to share his story. So we'll sign off on from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.